Wow, I can't believe Spearsy isn't here for the finale of Purple Rain screening on the 80s cruise. He's really missing out. Trust me, Drew. I just saw him in his cabin with Terry Nunn and Debbie Gibson. He's not missing out on anything. Shh, Brad, this is the best part when Prince kisses Wendy on the cheek. You know, Jen, I should have picked this soundtrack for this week's show. Great music, bad movie. I'm going to slap you, Drew. Maybe I'll just go see how Spearsy's doing with Terry and Debbie. Oh, you're not going anywhere, mister. If Spearsy's going to skip out on the cruise announcement, you're at least going to stick around for it. Yeah, start talking, mister. Okay, here we go. Hey, everyone. This episode of Stuck in the 80s is sponsored by The 80s Cruise. Join me and Spearsy, if he ever leaves his cabin, on a seven-day cruise to the Western Caribbean with bands such as Cheap Trick, Berlin, Morris Day in the Time, Survivor, Men Without Hats, and many more. Hey, someone want to help me out with this? Nope. I'm good. Okay, then. So, here's the really good news. The 80s Cruise is running a new promotion right now. Book before July 17th and skip the deposit. And remember, there are monthly payment plans available, too. Seriously, no one wants to jump in here? Sweet payback. For what? (sighs) Just remember to use the promo code STUCK to save hundreds off the regular rates and score invites to parties with me and Spearsy. By the way, did I tell you he's in his cabin dressed as Prince? Not surprised. Yeah, he did kind of have a cheesy mustache in college. Ugh, just start the show. Travel back in time to the 80s. Reliving the music. You can't have the Pretender's first album. That's mine. I bought it. You did not. The catchphrases. Did you have a brain tumor for breakfast? And the wannabes. Sometimes I see you dance around the house in my underwear. Doesn't make me Madonna. Never will. Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Can you say stuck in the 80s? Hey, hey, welcome to Stuck in the 80s. It's your host, Steve Spears, and today we take the good, we take the bad, we take them both, and there we have... The facts of life, the facts of life. I swear to God, this is not a show about the facts of life. Actually, we're going to talk about good soundtracks from bad movies. That's right, that's right, we're bad, huh? <laughs> With me today, fresh from another family vacation, it's Brad in L.A. Spearsy, how the heck are you? Ah... I'm all riled up because this is a topic that I think is going to generate a lot of controversy. You think so? You think so? Well, uh, just in case that is indeed a fact, we brought a few other people along with us on this journey to help share the blame. Uh, With us today is Just Drew. Howdy, howdy. And also we have once again joining us the infamous Jen with one N. Hello, and I intend to assign blame for this one. (laughs) Good choice. Thanks. Jen, I know who's getting the blame. We're we're all going to take a big fat slice of that cheesecake and wolf it down by the end of this show. I can tell you that. Wait, much. there's cheesecake. There's cheese. There's always cheesecake when there's a podcast. Mm. So let's get this out of the way right now. What in your minds for uh, makes for a great movie soundtrack? Who wants to start? I'll tell you what I like is I like a song by a band I like that isn't on any of their albums. I would agree with you there. That's that to me is is a very very important quality of a good soundtrack. Even if it's a cover, it can be a cover. That's okay. But 
I like a, a you know a little something extra that I can't find someplace else. I have well, to be a contrarian. I think that a mix songs that you might find somewhere else that in a different context, like with opposite other songs and in in scenes when you actually see the movie, combined with what you guys said. About oh oh yeah, I'm I'm okay with that too. It doesn't need to all be like that. I just need I need one little Easter egg in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. Well, as a student of film, <laughs> oh, here we go. <laughs> what I was going to say is, for me, what makes a mov- a good movie soundtrack is it can't just be a, a collection of songs that just are kind of thrown in there or they got the rights to. Uh, this has to be something that sets the mood of the film. And when you've got a, a thing like like John Hughes, always did a fantastic job of finding just the right songs. Like, for example, Sig Sig Sputnik, F-111, what Love Missile, when Ferris Bueller is talking about the day that he is going to get get away with. Like, he can... This is the greatest day of my life, and this is the soundtrack that's going to play. It's it's really not just um, background noise. It's got to be something that moves the film along. Uh, in addition to what Brad said, because I, I agree, I think an original song is nice to have. I like to see maybe a song I haven't heard before, or maybe I didn't notice it so much before, placed in a really critical scene. Like um, To me, The Valley Girl has one of the best soundtracks of any 80s movie, and... Uh, modern English as I melt with you is perfectly used at two times for the montage and, and at the very ending. And that's what, that is the beginning of what makes that such a great soundtrack. Well, that, that particular song is almost the heart and soul of that movie. Right. But it's strange that it's used twice. I agree. That doesn't happen. I know. I have no, I, I, I'm gobsmacked. Wow. We turned him into the Tasmanian devil. I'm going to disagree oh, yeah. with you, Drew, but not until you tell your movie. So I'll, I'll hold off on that. <laughs> I'm, just, right. I'm just gobsmacked that you try to make that point. I just, if nothing else, it's the perfect way to end that movie. Um, another quality I would say is... Wait, wait, wait. I didn't say it wasn't, it wasn't a good way to use it in the movie. I just said it was unusual to use the same song twice. I know what you meant. Oh, okay. Well, oh, okay. <laughs> oh. <laughs> the, uh, the other thing I have to say is um, it has to be a song that when you hear that song, you think of the movie. Yeah. So you, you hear If You Leave by OMD, you think, of course, of Pretty in Pink. You know, you hear I Melt With You, you think Valley Girl, you know. So that you hear uh, Danger Zone, you think Top Gun. So it needs to have like a, a, a linchpin. Uh, uh, you know, again, to Drew's point, it can't just be stuff that they pulled out of their collection. Right. It has to be something that, that um, evokes a movie like um, Good Times for Lost Boys. Sure. You know what, what? One movie that does that really well is um, some kind of wonderful. There, that scene where Watts is practicing kissing with um, Keith, and she loves me comes on. It's the perfect song. It's a new. I mean, it probably exists on an album somewhere, but I'd never heard it before. And it's the perfect sweet little song playing during that little scene where they have their first kiss that is a great moment and that is uh, a great moment. it's so good and it, but it's not overstated it's not like she kissed me you know what i mean it's not yeah. it, it doesn't repeat what what's going on it just is a sweet little addition to that scene and whenever i hear that song i always think of that that scene and, and how sweet it is
or false, uh, Jen? Were you making out during the makeout <laughs> scene of Some Kind of Wonderful? False, because I watched it on cable and I didn't have a boyfriend at the time. <laughs> okay. That's a shame. I'll say one more thing that makes for a great movie soundtrack. I'm thinking back now to when I was listening to soundtracks on tapes usually is and I had a a tape player that only played that only fast forwarded. It didn't rewind. Yeah. It's kind yeah. of like life. So I Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. So so what makes a good soundtrack to me is the same thing that makes a good album which is there's not too many songs you want to fast forward. Good point. Mm-hmm. Good point. So so conversely, I ask the question now, what makes for a bad movie? Uh, Brad? Well, that's an extraordinarily subjective question, so there's no wrong answer there. Um, a bad movie is one I don't like. That's simple. <laughs> oh, so <laughs> much more complicated. You, you kind, so of put me, kind of put me on yeah. the spot there, Steve. Um, a bad movie. A bad in what ways? I mean, it can just be uh, – it can be – the plot can be stupid. The plot can be too stupid. The – Actors could be wrong for their roles. It could be something that, uh, you know, there's so many ways that a movie can be bad. But I will say, and I, I'm just going to get it there before anybody else does, movies can be so bad that they're actually funny or good. Sure, exactly. Like Caveman, one of my favorite bad movies. It's <laughs> yeah. so stupid. Yes, that's, that is a good example. Uh, Drew, what makes for a bad movie? Well, no, as I'm a kidding. student of film, <laughs> I can almost see the ascot from here. I know. Thank you. I was just going to say that it, the problem is, is nobody sets out really to make a bad film. You know, the idea is they always think that they have something they can add to the culture, to the world, and then little things can go wrong that end up making a bad film. And like Brad said, sometimes it could be the acting. It's just the actor's just wrong for the part. It, oftentimes they don't fix that. Sometimes, like if you think back to Back to the Future, when they replaced, um, uh, what's his name? Eric, Eric Stoltz. Stoltz. Thank you, Eric Stoltz. When they replaced Eric Stoltz, because he just wasn't right for the role. They thought he was, but he wasn't. You know that doesn't often happen. So you end up with with sometimes actors just miscast. the The music doesn't quite work right. You can have fantastic music to a a, a movie that just isn't really that good. And we're going to cover some of those today. But you know, there's so many things that can go wrong with a movie that when one really does go right, it's kind of something to be celebrated. Jen, what do you think? Um, For me, it's much more visceral. So if I'm sitting and watching a movie, whether it's in the theater or at home, if I like just just make a noise (laughs) like or a, you know, like some kind of utterance like that. I mean, it's just some bad movies are some movies are so bad. It's just like it hurts my soul. As a, as not a student of film, it's I just take it very emotionally and don't you know? Um, I think though to to your point about bad movies or movies being so bad that they're you enjoy them. I love a good bad movie. Oh sure. And I think the key for me is it if it's entertaining. So if it's bad and entertaining, that's a good bad movie. If it's meant to be good, like you're saying, Drew and. Or quality, or you know what I mean. Lots of names, mm-hmm. or they spend lots yeah, of money, and it's not entertaining when, yeah. or interesting. Uh, that that to me yeah. is the worst kind of. Movie. Yeah, agreed. I mean, you can tell when they set out to do something like, oh, well, you know, you can smell the pretension coming off the script. Sure. It doesn't work. Um, although I will take some, you know, Jen basically took what I said. It's a bad movie. If I don't like it, and dressed it up with some pretty words, and you all were like, "Oh, that's genius!" But I say it, and I get shot down. <laughs> thank you. Just it, saying, it is, it is. Yeah, it is genius. I thank you, Brad. Thanks. <laughs> I also think if you take a person that's a pop star and try and make them the 
the the lead actor or actress in a in a film, that's a pretty good point that this is not going to be a good yeah, film. Yeah, they better be in on the joke or it's going down. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, I to me, I think it's 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 just a a bad combination of ingredients. Like, I, take a movie like Zapped. Um, is it please is no, the, no, is no, I don't no thanks. Want no, please <laughs> yeah. take it, take it back, take it back. It's the ultimate bologna sandwich. It doesn't, and it doesn't aspire to be anything more than that. So if, <laughs> it's white bread, Oscar Mayer bologna, a slice of American cheese, and some Hellman's mayonnaise, and that's all it aspires to be. Oh, I think it's Miracle Whip, my friend. Yes. <laughs> but I think um, it's store brand bologna too. But you take uh, you take bologna and suddenly take put some try to put some brie on it, and suddenly you're going to be you know honking in the sink in about twenty minutes. So I think to me that is really what the, it the is. The food metaphor is going really sideways. I, I just ate. I just ate, and I don't feel well. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we, we've we've set up the criteria. Um, we've mocked each other enough for now. I promise more is to come. Um, let's get started. Uh, Drew, you drew the short straw. What is a Good soundtrack to a bad movie. I thought I was going. Last. Are we going to move him to last? Oh, yeah. f- Steve, you drew the short straw, so why don't you go first? <laughs> what do you think makes a, a good a bad movie with a good soundtrack? And I don't have a f- answer to that. <laughs> Today's long distance dedication is from Drew to Steve. I'll give you. I'll give you a two word answer. American anthem. There you go, a classic Andy Taylor song, just post Duran Duran, to one of the cheesiest movies of the 80s. Hands down, I win. Show over. Hopelessly stuck <laughs> what is in the this 80s. Show we, what is this movie even about? I couldn't find a plot summary. <laughs> okay, so uh, funny you would ask. Uh, American Anthem actually turned 30 years old today as we're recording. Oh, nice. Uh, released June 27th, 1986. Um, American Anthem starred Mitch Gaylord. Um, okay. You know, America's uh, uh, gymnast hero, gold medalist. He plays a football star who's trying to make it onto the U.S. gymnastics team. Uh, he co-stars against the lovely Janet Jones. Did he lose a bet or something? That doesn't make any sense at all. <laughs> and this goes to who was it that said putting pop stars in actors' roles is one of the first. I did. There we go. Right here. <laughs> yeah. You, you don't take an Olympic athlete and try to make him an actor. Yes. So um, this movie comes out. It is panned up and down. Uh, Roger Ebert gave it a half of a star. Surprised he gave it that, and much. that was generous. Yeah, <laughs> he said he, he was contractually obliged to give it mm-hmm, something yeah. other than zero. Well, I'm it was sure. on film, so it, was, it, yeah. Yeah. 20, it was projected at twenty-four frames a second. <laughs> He's, uh, he wrote, "Quote: The plot is dumb and predictable, but so what?" <laughs> um, he said, "Everything depends on dialogue and character." An American anthem is a curious case. The screenplay seems to have been written by people who, on one hand, we're intimately familiar with every commercial and saleable ingredient to every hit movie of the last five years, and yet, who on the other hand, had never heard a cliche before. Yeah, he could write like nobody's business. Yeah, and, uh, people don't write like that anymore. Uh, American Anthem to this day has a 0.00 fresh rating on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. 
That is a badge of honor right there. So I think we've established the bad credentials. Now let me talk about the good credentials. Now, granted, I'm not going to say this is a great soundtrack, but compared to the movie, <laughs> you know, it's Sound of Music. There's some good stuff on here. <laughs> um, you've got three songs by Andy Taylor, including Take It Easy. In Excess has the song Same Direction. Love that song. John Parr, the cheesy John Parr has... Uh, an incredible uh, anthem here called Two Hearts. I mean, it is not a great song, but it is a great, like, snapshot in the Instagram of the year 1986. I remember yep. this movie. I've seen it. Uh, uh, I don't think I saw it in theaters. I think I saw it on HBO when you know HBO was playing anything it could get its hands on. <laughs> and I know I watched it because of Janet Jones. I had a I had a big thing for Janet Jones. But I was going to mock you because I thought, oh, this movie was just a ripoff of Cutting Edge, the DB Sweeney Maura Kelly movie, until I found out that came out later. Yeah, that's ninety one, I think. So yeah, it was. I was going to like say, oh, these guys were just a cheap ripoff. Oh wait. There's this so. one scene. There's this one scene towards the end, you know, where they're in the Olympic qualifying rounds or whatever, and they're doing all these complicated uh, gymnast moves, and it looks like there's a rock show going on with the with the lighting, like strobe mm-hmm. lighting and like low, <laughs> all, the, all the all this kind of stuff that would make judges gym, love that stuff. Any all the stuff that would make a gymnast fall to their death, you know, <laughs> by by being hit by light at the wrong angle. That I mean, there's there's a million things wrong with this movie. The only thing that's right about it is Janet Jones is really cute. Yes, but uh, I second that. I second <laughs> and third that. <laughs> so I think I've established a, a strong candidate here. Can I just uh, throw my two cents in about American Anthem? I actually have to say, with the exception of the NXS song, I don't really like the soundtrack very much. However, I kind of like the movie. <laughs> What? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, our contrarian co-host. Oh my well, gosh. No, I, I do remember seeing it in the theater, and no, I wasn't making out with anyone, although it was my favorite makeout theater. But the the movie is so bad. I mean, it's one of these. It's it's so bad. And Steve, you were describing that scene, and it is. It's sort of like over the top. Like everybody loves to watch. Um, arm wrestling you know the way they presented gym- <laughs> gymnastics was everybody loves gymnastics so much they get so crazy about it um but yeah it's a really bad movie and it's really fun it, it feels very comfortable like if it came on tv today i'd probably watch it i'd sit down and watch it or I, vacuum yeah. or something while i watched it vacuum you know? while you watched it <laughs> well, cause, cause it's, familiar. it's very familiar and it's got these comfortable beats you know like you know how it's gonna go it's like karate kid i'm sure that's exactly how they pitched it in the room too like karate kid except he's a gymnast yeah i, I agree with you if it came on tonight i would watch it but i'd be wincing most of the way through it but yeah, I think that the biggest question here is, Jen, you said it was in your favorite makeout theater. How long is that list? Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> well, okay, technically it's a theater, but there were it was two. There were two theaters in that theater. Uh, yeah, okay. Did you find that you, you better in one theater than the other? No, no. 
I mean, like See, when I you never were made out in any theaters. Uh, say that. Say that wait, again, Drew. Wait, I never made out in any theaters. As a matter of fact, the only time I That's ever because really you're so to... tall, you probably couldn't no. even fit in the chairs. <laughs> Here's, I put my arm around a girl once. We were watching a movie, and I put my arm around her, and it was actually the right stuff. And by the time that movie ended, my <laughs> arm was dead. <laughs> oh my god, like, dead! You tried to and make so, out during the right stuff. Well, you know, I I just thought I'd you know like show her I was interested. And, no, I didn't try to make out. Believe me, I never I never had that kind of confidence. But I thought at least I'd put my arm around her. Yeah, that was a, that was kind of a mistake. I didn't do that very often. So I'm I'm just fascinated by the you know the whole make out theater thing is something I just never really experienced. Well, that's wow. pretty good. You're missing out, man. Yeah. That's what we had back American then. American Anthem would be ideal, actually. But. Actually, yeah. yeah, you're right. I mean, it's no Gandhi, but, you know, <laughs> work with what you got. <laughs> <laughs> okay, who's next? Who wants to defend a bad movie with a good soundtrack? I'll take a crack at it, Mr. Spearsy, sir. And there's going to be some dissent about whether this is a bad movie. But uh, I have my reasons. Um, I present to you suicidal tendencies institutionalized from the repo man soundtrack I'm going to have to call you on this one. Repo Man is a bad movie? It is a bad movie. You yourself have said so on this show. I've said I don't know, man. Show. <laughs> that well, was what's something- the... Uh- Go ahead. What's make your the, case. What's the credit? What's the what's the rating on it? I mean, let's talk. Let's start off right that. What's the what's the rating on on? Oh, uh, look, look, look. Okay, so so you want me to say the number, don't you? I do. You I'm dying. Is it like? Is it close to a hundred? Say the rating on Rotten Tomatoes is ninety eight percent fresh. I, I blame society. Society made me what I am. That's. You're a white suburban punk, just like me. And yet, let that you sink in. Bad, you yeah, it I'm saying a bad it's a. Movie. I'm saying it's a bad movie because the critics are wrong in this case. Read Ebert's. I don't have the text of it, but read Ebert's review where he talks about. I saw this after I watched three, you know, three days solid of Drek, and therefore I liked it. So really, the reason he liked it is because it wasn't as bad as the turkeys he'd been watching. That's not really. That doesn't really make it a good movie. Now it is. This is the fringiest of fringe movies that any of us have picked for today. It grossed less than $150,000 in the theaters. Yeah, but it's more of a cult classic. It's more of one of those kind of discovered on. I would agree with that, but I don't think it's a good movie. It doesn't make a lot of sense. It's goofy as all hell. I like it, but you have to have a Brad? I saw it on cable. I saw it on cable. Okay. What time was it? Of day? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, this is important. Very, very late. Oh, okay, that's, that's, that's what I just want to make sure because those are the the sort of optimum. Yeah, and yeah. were you but, were you drinking? Absolutely, and that's the only way you can get through this movie. Okay, by the second half of it, I, I, you watch the first forty. Well, gosh, first forty five minutes, you're practically finished with it. You watch the first half hour of it, and you're like, okay, this is interesting, and then it kind of wanders, and then uh, he flies off in a radioactive car. 
So you're saying it has problems in the third act. That's what you're saying. I would say so, yes. (laughs) And I think that kind of sinks it because you just – anyway. But the soundtrack is amazing. The soundtrack is this primer for punk rock. And when I came across this album, it was like – you know, punk rock for the rest of us. You know, I don't have to go to these shows and get beat up to listen to this music. I could just plop this you know, <laughs> album on the turntable. It's so much good stuff. Um, there's, uh, you know, Black Flags on there, uh, Circle Jerks, Fear. It's just an amazing lineup. Yeah. It was, a, it was a fun cult movie, that's for sure. I mean, I get, I get the idea that maybe you didn't love it. Um, but, yeah, it's impossible to hate the soundtrack. It's just – it's fantastic. And the, the Spanish version of Secret Agent Man, oh, my gosh, so good. You're not even going to mention the Burning Sensations cover of one of Steve's favorite artists. Oh uh, yes, I, I do, do like Pablo that Picasso, too, but Pablo I didn't Picasso. want to swear on the show because you know <laughs> I know all the kids that are listening, so I didn't want to talk about how Pablo Picasso was never called an asshole. Not uh, like you. Yeah, <laughs> good times. As much as I, but did I actually say I didn't like this movie once before? You have said to me, maybe it was privately, that you can't get through this without a six pack. Well, there's a lot of things in my life I can't get through without a six pack. <laughs> well, you know, see a doctor for that, okay? <laughs> just, they won't have me. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot. Of, there's a lot of movies that I can't get through in one sitting for various reasons, uh, and Repo Man's probably one of them. Um, but yeah, it's it's a hard case to make that that's a bad movie. But I understand where you feel like it is. I, I just I don't think it is I don't think it has broad enough maybe it doesn't have broad enough appeal is a better way to put it. Um, well, let's but. ask Jen. Jen, is this like would you call this a traditionally a guy movie? It's funny that you say that because I was thinking about when I first saw Repo Man, and it was I was living in Hawaii, and the cutest boys in Hawaii were skaters, so there were like kind of these this checklist of movies that you had to see if you like wanted something to talk about with these skater boys, all cult classics, a lot of punk stuff. Suburbia was one, um, but Repo Man was like at the top of the list. And I remember watching it. I rented it from Tower Video from their Midnight Madness or whatever section. Sweet. Yes. Cool. And I rented it and watched it with some friends. And I, I watched it with the intention of having something to talk about with these skater boys but then about five minutes in, I was like, no, I just like it. <laughs> you know. And I, ju- I, I just became invested in it and I just I loved it and I loved the music. And, you know, we were talking earlier about moving the plot forward and, and, and just picking the right songs for the right scenes. I think Repo Man does that really well. And it's super quotable. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go get sushi and, and not pay. Uh, D- you know. does it I'm have glad a- I tortured you. But does it have a song, though, that you hear and you immediately think Repo Man? TV party. It seems like I'd heard that song before that. 
Well, you're just too damn cool for this podcast. Well, please. no. <laughs> I did a whole show on, on Genesis Invisible Touch. How cool can I be? Hey, that's a great <laughs> that's album. Excellent point. Oh, so, I mean, I a great album. Movie, <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah, next up, Pat and Jen take the gloves off. <laughs> I just think this movie could have been better helped with more of a budget. It had a, it had an absolutely well, minuscule yeah. budget, and it showed, unfortunately. And I think they spent a lot of that budget on these the the soundtrack and and. Uh, I don't know. Do you think Black Flag and Circle Jerks, you know, charge you more than a couple cases of beer? I mean, they're probably all on Slash Records at that point. Yeah, I think they're still going to get some money. I mean, when you're talking about that small a budget and you're you're tossing, let's say, five grand for a, and I'm totally making that number up. I don't know what it would actually be, but let's say you throw these guys five grand, three grand. You know, that starts to add up. Yeah, you're right, especially when you probably they're probably working with you know half a million, if anything. Yeah, yeah, I kind of so. love that about the movie, though. I love how shaggy it is and how like it because it feels like this. It feels punk, you know, because yeah. it's so cheap and and they have to do. I don't know, like, like for example, when he opens the trunk. And the glow, yeah. and they probably couldn't afford more than like the yeah. flashlight. That's Three in flashlights, his yeah. yeah, exactly. But it's it, but it, it added to the to the fun of the, the movie. I think. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. Speaking of lights, uh, Jen, what is your pick uh, for uh, bad that, movies with great? You are a master. That was a great of segues. So yeah. nice. Um, well, my movie soundtrack is Bright Lights, Big City, and. Well, I'll go. Let's just get it out of the way, and we can place a little, a little prince, a little good love. I got to tell you, Jen, I'm. I'm bitterly disappointed in you for picking this. Uh, when I go out to eat, for instance, I'm always angry when someone out orders me, and I feel uh-huh. like you you nailed this category because this movie, <laughs> in my opinion, sucks, oh, and no. the soundtrack is fantastic. Good, yeah, yeah. No, I think so too. I think so. The movie should have been a good movie. Let, let's start with the movie. The movie should have been a good movie. Should have been one of the best movies of the '80s. We should be. Being people should be bored about us talking about this movie. It is the most boring movie about the most I don't interesting know what it's topic. About, but it's what's what's it about? I have not seen this film. So it's based on a book by Jay McInerney, who early eighties, and this movie came out in nineteen eighty eight, and it's about this um, this guy named Jamie who wants to be a writer. But he winds up fact-checking for the New Yorker magazine. I think it is still called the New Yorker. They don't make up a, a fake name yeah, for it, like di- diuretics or whatever they call it <laughs> in Repo Man. So he's this guy. He wants to be a famous author. He has been living the, the New York City 80s Manhattan life, um, was dating a model who was played by Phoebe Cage. She breaks up with him. His mother dies, played by the lovely Diane Wiest. He um, is friends with, I think his name was Tad, um, played by Kiefer Sutherland. I should mention, because this is the, the big one of the biggest problems in the movie, that Jamie's played by Michael J. Fox. And so it's the 80s. They're going to clubs. They're doing blow. They're, it's all this stuff. And then here's Alex P. Keaton. Yeah. Who, who's sort of thrown into the, to the midst of it all. And I think, I mean, it's too bad that this movie had enough money to offer him the part. I kind of wish they didn't so that they could offer it to, you know, an Eric unknown. Stoltz. 
Eric Stoltz. Eric Stoltz would have been actually <laughs> better. Yeah, that would have been perfect. I mean, for this. actually, he would have been pretty good. Yeah, the yeah. movie is just his character just spiraling in, and it is it is the one movie I've ever well not walked in this case drove out of. Um, I, I've never saw the end. I saw the first really? half, and I'm like, well, this is some extenuating circumstances. I was there with my girlfriend at the drive-in, and it was a stick-shift car, so you know, there's a limited amount of space to move side to side there. The movie is just boring, boring, boring. It's like, okay, he's going to go do some drugs, do some drugs, do some drugs, do some drugs, do some drugs. And we both are like, I don't care what happens to this guy. Let's go. So, Where'd you guys go? I uh, went back to her place. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, no, so the movie is not good. I mean, I I, uh, I turned forty some years ago. I won't tell you how many. Just a couple. And I brought a bunch of movies. We we flew to Florida and we had, like, got a house. And and I brought a bunch of movies. And I brought Bright Lights, Big City, which I hadn't seen in so long. And I was so excited for it. And I put it in. And like I don't know, maybe twenty minutes into it, I didn't finish it. I was like, this is the movie that I. I think I love the idea of the movie better than the uh-huh. actual movie. Um, and I certainly like the book much better. I highly recommend. Yeah, the book is um, supposed to be fantastic. It is good. It's very good. It's probably the. Well, it's probably what, better than Less Than Zero. What did they miss in the translation? I I really couldn't tell you. It I, felt. I'll I think part you. of it was Michael J. Fox, but then it also felt very um, sanitized or something. Mm. I, I think a couple of things. One is it, it relied hev- heavily on narration. I, I just mm. don't think that that's ever a good crutch. Um, I mean, obviously the Alex P. Keaton factor, and then I think it's a world. It's set in a world that it's hard to have any empathy for whatsoever. Mm, yeah, yeah, okay. and you just kind of go, oh, like, who? Why am I still watching this? Yeah, like, he's just flushing like, his life down the toilet. Mm-hmm. Right. There's there's no there's no compelling reason to continue to watch it. So Except different the than music. well, yeah, the music is great, but I mean, we almost just described less than zero. But yeah. that's entertaining. <laughs> that's yeah. more entertaining somehow. Like I'll watch that movie. It's it's more. I don't know. I mean, it's not a great movie, but it's at least entertaining to watch. Yeah, that's a good uh, compare and contrast. We may have to do that as a separate podcast someday. Like, <laughs> well, tell us some more about the soundtrack on this bad boy. I just want to say, Lesson Zero, also an excellent soundtrack. Very good um, soundtrack. Yeah, no, this soundtrack is really good. I, I wouldn't say I would. I, I there's so there's ten songs on it. I I would say eight of them are really really good. So let's see. So there we we are listening to Good Love by Prince. That was a really good song. Obviously, I love that one. Um, True Faith by New Order. Uh, trying to think of the ones that are on here that you've heard before, not just on this album. Pleasure, Little Treasure, Depeche yeah. Mode. Love that. Yeah, I love, love that, that. Yeah, Pump Up the Volume, Mars. Like, you cannot go wrong uh, with that yeah. song. In fact, if they don't play that on the 80s cruise on Hip Hop versus Rock Night, it's a travesty. Actually, I used some of that in my son's volleyball video this season. Oh, you did? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I was uh, shocked. I didn't think that was an 80s song. I thought that was early 90s. Me too. Yeah. Late 80s. Late 80s. Yeah. And then there's this one song on it that is so cool. It's called Love Attack. I loved it so much that I actually went and looked for the band named Conk, K-O-N-K, um, because the song was so cool. So what I love, the aspects of this album that I love the most are the songs that play in the clubs. So when he goes to Limelight yeah, or yeah. whatever. Oh, my God. And so here I am in my room listening to the tape, right? And I just thought to myself, like, this is what a nightclub is like. <laughs> 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 you know, like... The New Order and Brian Ferry. Oh. 
Yeah, well, that's the only song I would say, like, as far, you know, this is an 80s podcast. That song sounds like a late 70s song because, um, well, no, I'm thinking of a different song. Kiss and Tell. Kiss and Tell is a great song. Yeah. It is a good song. I'm thinking of Century's End yeah, by Donald. That, that Donald Fagan song does not fit. Yeah. That sounds like a 70s song for Absolutely. sure. But then I, I found out, um, reading about this a little bit, that Donald Fagan actually did the, the music for the whole movie. Oh. So he, oh, he produced okay. it, which makes sense why it's so good. So, but yeah, this is just a, it's a good, it's just tight. I, I wouldn't fast forward many songs, except for if I was like wanting to pretend I was in a nightclub, then I would fast forward <laughs> to, uh, <laughs> to probably Love Attack or maybe pump up the volume. But yeah, it's great. It, and that's, and that's what I think of when I hear the album is I think of all the scenes where he's in the nightclub. Otherwise, it's not that fun of a movie. Otherwise, quite dull. Okay, Drew, you are in the cleanup position. What is your uh, bad movie with a great soundtrack? All right. I, get your bows and arrows out because I know I'm going to be taking some shots for this. Yeah. But, yeah, the, the movie I chose is Footloose. No words. No uh, words. What did I? Have I offended? Um, offended? I'd, I'd, li- I'd like to hear your reasoning before I tell you how many ways you're wrong. Okay. Okay. The film did well financially. Yes, it did. It did 80 million domestic. So that's nothing to sneeze about, especially back in 1984 when it came out, February 17th, 1984. But what people need to know is this is one of the films that wouldn't have been made without the soundtrack and it wouldn't have been made if that soundtrack didn't include Kenny Loggins. Like seriously, the studio was literally talking to Dean Pitchford who wrote all the songs. He wrote this, everything that, I mean, basically all the songs that, that told the story. He was told if you don't get Kenny Loggins to do this, the picture's dead. So you don't even have that good a script. It really depends only on the soundtrack the casting of the of the film was was good. I mean, Kevin Bacon obviously was was great, and he was listed as really the only good thing in the film, the only good actor in the film. What? Couple, what? Uh, <clears throat> Are you okay. high? I am not high. <laughs> I'm going to explain. Well, that's this right. You, you flushed you. it down the toilet, I'm and you sorry, got thrown I'm off sorry. the gymnastics yeah. team. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's the gymnastics. Now, a few of you have used Roger Ebert to bolster your positions, and so I am going to do the same. First off, I'm going to say that the, the, it has a 54% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Right, now, low. put a pin on that. I want to come back to that. Uh, okay. But this is what Roger Ebert said, who's considered the, the film critic of our generation. There's not much dancing, but what there is is great. The rest of the time, Footloose is a nice hunk of trashy teenage cheese, a seriously confused movie that tries to do three things – and does all of them badly. It wants to tell the story of a conflict in a town. It wants to introduce some flashy teenage characters. And part of the time, it wants to be a music video. Do you want to kiss me? Someday. Hey, what is this someday shit? Well, I, I get the feeling you've been kissed a lot. You know, I'm afraid I'd suffer by comparison. So clearly, Roger Ebert did not like the film. 
Okay, well, now let, let's let's address that fifty four percent fresh rating. Now, okay. er, everyone, open up your browser, go to IMDb or Rotten Tomatoes. I guess it's Rotten Tomatoes. Go to Rotten Tomatoes mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and check the dates on the reviews they're using for that rate rating. None of them is older than two thousand three. Okay, and so, that is specifically critics, why I looked up. Step off. That is specifically why I looked up Roger Ebert because I, I, I am one of those people that didn't see it when it came out in theaters. I saw Footloose maybe three four years ago. That was the first time I saw uh, okay. it. it. It's very much of its time. Therein lies the problem, yeah. I think. Yeah. And, and I think, I, I think to, to say that this has a good soundtrack and is a bad movie is – I think you're the, the movie is a musical. If the soundtrack isn't good, then the movie isn't good. I don't know how you can separate the soundtrack from the movie. Because, it's a musical. It's not it, – it's, it's a musical, but it's not because you can have other movies <sighs> – it was turned into a musical for Broadway. It was turned into a musical for Broadway, but it's I mean, but the it film is, is not any more. It's not any more of a musical than than um than a Ferris Bueller movie. Mm, yes, it is. No, it's I, not. I, I, I believe it is. I, I really think that the music scene. drives it. There's a dance scene in Ferris Bueller when he's up on the on you know doing twist and shout. There's a dance scene in Footloose Dude. where he's punch dancing. What the hell Three. is that? Okay, well now that's I'm a music video. I'm gonna do some punch dancing soon. <laughs> That's a music video. It's a very silly music video. Okay, Jen. So it was actually intended to be a musical by design. Um, I watched the extras of Footloose, and um, the producers were discussing how they that they actually wrote songs to the movie script. So maybe not all of them, but many of them, so that they could. I bet holding out for a hero wasn't on that list because that's a. That's a bad placement there, but right. I guess they couldn't get the tractor song or whatever song that they were trying to. <laughs> Iron Maiden wasn't available. But I really think that they. I, I, I. That's what they said on the extras anyway. That that um that they wrote it with the intention of making it a music. Like that was the idea. Yeah, I think that was the case because one of the things Dean Pitchford said was that a, a lot of the the songs that he wrote were specifically to run it like a musical, but the studio wouldn't ex- wouldn't accept it as simply a musical. So that's why they had to add in a lot of this weird, bad acting and a lot of the, um, you know, the, the Drew, plot you're going to make points. me cry, Drew. I'm going to cry. I'm sorry. I'm I, telling you, it is not a good movie. I, I will say, and, that having grown up in a small town in Oklahoma, that a lot of it rings true that maybe wouldn't – doesn't seem like it would ring true. Like it just – like really that kind of stuff happens. And I'll also have to go back to the beginning of the show when I said it's a bad movie if I don't like it. So, Drew, if you don't like it, it could be a bad movie. That's okay. I still think you're wrong. But I will respect your right to have that opinion. Um, The the other thing is I think this movie, if you watch this as an adult, this movie, Kevin Bacon, his character doesn't change one whit in this movie. The only person that experiences any Mm -hmm. growth in this movie is the pastor, John Lithgow's character. He's the only person who changes in this movie. This movie is really, in my mind now, more about him than it is about anybody else in that town. You see, my friends, I've always insisted on taking responsibility for your lives. But I'm really uh, like a first-time parent who makes mistakes and tries to learn from them. And like that parent, I find myself at that moment when I have to decide, do I hold on 
Or do I trust you to yourselves? Let go. And hope that you've understood at least some of my lessons. If we don't start trusting our children, how will they ever become trustworthy? There's parts of this movie that, you know, and there, there's, there's a certain amount of cheese. But, I mean, I think almost every movie that we love from the 80s has a certain amount of cheese. I mean, it's but there's of- a level of cheese in this <laughs> that, that goes beyond what the What cheese pale. level is it, Drew? Oh, I don't know. Let's see. The is tractor it, fight. Is it Velveeta level? Or is it just that's right, that's what I'm looking for. That's more of a it, farty. It's, it's cheese whiz. It's the spray-on cheese. That's mm-hmm. how bad it is. The, like I said, the punch dancing. That stuff is the, so uh, good on crackers, though. Oh, it really is. See, that's my point. The weird See, we dance that. that they all do at the prom where all of a sudden they're all doing the same dance. For a town that couldn't dance, all of a sudden they're all doing the same dance. It's a music well, it's video. It's not that hard of a it's dance. Just, it's, it's not just, that hard of a dance. Yeah. For a town yeah, that's no. never danced. Mm. They're not allowed they've, to dance. They've yet. danced. Oh. They've danced. They just haven't they've danced. They've obviously been practicing. That guy doing yeah. the robot? Come on, man. He's good. <laughs> Well, it's, I'm okay. saying it is not a good film. So let's. So then let's talk. So then make your case for the soundtrack. The reason I love this, this movie because I was like 11 when I saw it, right? So I saw it and I fell in love with Kevin Bacon and I wanted to drive a yellow Beetle Volkswagen Beetle. You know, like I loved and my friends and I loved this movie. So we went. I think I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but there was one day where we went to go see Footloose the entire day. Like we went to oh, the gosh. matinee at 11:30, watched it. Oh, I think four or five times before the theater closed and we left. We watched. I mean, so this is where I'm coming from, Drew. Oh, I <laughs> so totally understand it. It's, and deep look. Se- it's deep seated, but the but it's funny because you said earlier about you were surprised that I'm, I'm I'll melt with you. Played more than once. Mm-hmm. Footloose plays. I let me check my Wikipedia here. Fifty-seven times throughout the movie. Footloose. What? No, I'm just kidding. But but <laughs> it plays a lot, right? You like sold it's at it the though. beginning. It's thank you. It's at the beginning. It's like two or three times in the middle, and then of course it's at you know the it's end the where end. they're at the big prom or whatever. But yes. that, yeah, I guess they're trying to get their money's worth out of that Kenny Loggins. Well, song. yeah, well they bought it. Here's what makes this soundtrack so good, though. And almost any song from this soundtrack, when you hear it, you think Footloose. Yes, I mean almost without exception. Almost Paradise, Footloose. Dancing in the sheets, you know, holding out for a hero. Let's hear it for the boy. Let's hear it for the boy. There's like, there's no song except for, you know what? You know what the, the songs would be? I don't even think there's songs that are on the soundtrack. The songs that he's playing in his car, you know, yeah, like uh, uh, Quiet Riot. Quiet Riot. Yeah. I was disappointed when it wasn't, when Come on, Illinois wasn't on the soundtrack. Yeah, I should somewhere it that they re released it. They re released the soundtrack, and that included that one. Uh, it included, I think, The Girl Gets Around by Sammy Hagar. Ah, good oh, song. Oh, cool. I think. But yeah, the soundtrack's great, and if, and there was a actually for one week, um, four of the songs from that soundtrack were in the top forty: "Footloose," "Let's Hear It for the Boy," "Holding Out for a Hero," and "Dancing in the Sheets." Damn. So, and then a bit of trivia: the soundtrack spent ten weeks at number one. What did it knock out? What album did it knock out of the top spot in the U.S. Oh, in eighty? I'm gonna guess Flash Dance. I'm guessing Flash Dance. Nope. It's gonna Flash blow you away. Um, Lionel Richie. Synchronicity. Nope. It was nope. Synchronicity was eighty three. <laughs> um, Not Thriller. Yep. Thriller. Yeah. Thriller. Did it really? He came back after uh, 
the video came back for Thriller. That album went yep. back to number one again. So the Footloose soundtrack knocked it out. I remember this movie well because I skipped SAT prep course to go see this movie <laughs> with my girlfriend, um, the my dirty girlfriend who worked at a grocery store with me, who was a year older than me, went went to a different high school. She smoked, and um, let's hear it for the boy. <laughs> and, and this is and this of course is the same girlfriend that I think maybe a month later we would. Uh, uh, Did she take your virginity? Yeah, Steve? yeah. During a, <gasps> during a almost Thompson, paradise. No, during a Thompson twin song. Hold me now. But she bought me the uh, soundtrack to. Uh, Footloose on a cassette. I, I kept that for years. Aw. <sighs> Memories. Yeah. <laughs> How'd you do on the SAT? <laughs> <laughs> 1030. Like University of Illinois. Uh, looks like <laughs> University of Florida. Um, it was a, I made a 1030 for a call. Not too good. Just good enough. Got you where wow. you are today. Sorry about I took that. The, I took the SAT and my parents were so disappointed with my score. They made me take it again and I did worse the second yeah. time. Oh, man. <laughs> payback. You know what else would be payback right now? The Saggies. Uh, the mystical refrain that is reader mail bag. Uh, we got a letter from Gary and Gilroy, who is writing to us about our last show, uh, Iconic Albums of 86. Uh, Brad, you want to do the honors? I would be happy to do that. Gary writes, Hi, guys. I really enjoyed your show on the iconic albums of 1986, and as a 1986 high school graduate, the music was right in my wheelhouse. But I have to say, I spent many years trying to like R.E.M. until I finally accepted that I cannot stand them. I Am Superman and Cuyahoga wear on me like a crying baby at the DMV. I will say that Begin the Begin is a great song because it rocks, so you can see where I come from. I'm a Talking Heads fan, but I never really got true stories. I was more into the Remain in Light and Speaking in Tongues era. I understand that the term wildlife was code for cocaine. Listen to the song and think that every time he says, wild, wild life. Now, Graceland is a masterpiece. I really have to be in the right mood for it nowadays. He's got a lot of, of like, you know, rules about his stuff. That's okay. But yeah, no, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. He's 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 sharing with us. Yeah. Gary continues. If I was to contribute a 1986 album to your chorus, keeping a musical, it would have to be the post David Lee Roth Van Halen album 5150. Was that really 1986? I think so. Yeah. Holy crap. Okay. A new direction for a band coming off their biggest commercial success. The album has both pop appeal and rock cred, and it features something not heard on any other Van Halen album before: a power ballad. To this day, many Van Halen fans are actually divided into two camps of whether Roth or Hagar was the better era. I say, crack a beer and turn it up. As Roger Daltrey said, long live rock. Still stuck in the 80s, Gary and Gilroy. And Steve's back. (laughs) (laughs) You dirty rat. Sorry, Gary and Gilroy. Spears, had to make a drink during that. How did Brad do? (laughs) Did he get through it okay? He did really good. He did oh, great. my gosh. He didn't make one mistake. Except for those three. <laughs> uh, that's okay. We'll just leave him in for quality's sake. Have you ever done a uh, Roth versus Hagar show? Oh, yeah. I um, thought we did. Yeah. Yeah, I thought so. I, it sounded familiar. It was yeah, one of the, the first. Days. Yeah, it was like in the first 30 or 40 shows. It was, um, that's the whole, uh, no, that's not that one. 
Is it? No, because it was um, Guns N' Roses versus ACDC was the show that introduced Mama No. I remember that show, yeah. But I think uh, Van Halen versus Van Hagar was, was somewhere in that vicinity within a couple of months. So mm-hmm. uh, Robert Jordan could look it up for us. Okay, just curious. Excellent. Hey, uh, if you have other ideas of uh, movies that we should honor from 1986, uh, don't hesitate to write us. Uh, you know the email address is by now. Steve at SIT80s.com or Brad at SIT80s.com. What's happening, hot stuff? Ah, by the sound of the gong, it must be time for mystery movie moment. You know the drill. Uh, we will play a clip of a movie from the 80s. If you can get it right, you're entered into the drawing for uh, bottle openers. I also have some stuff. I've been getting that um, 80s retro pop box in the mail. Yep, now. I've got yep. like four, I got four boxes now. And it had, um, oh my God, it has a pillowcase for Defender. Oh my gosh. In the last one. And it had, um, what else? It, it has a lot of really cool stuff. And I'm going to start giving it away because um, uh, I need to. <laughs> or else it's Otherwise, I'm going to open a nostalgia to. shop. So... Uh, <laughs> Pay attention. Uh, here's the clip from our last show. Somebody, will you shut the fat little bastard up? That's Rodney Dangerfield and Easy Money. Uh, a lot of people thought we were going to use Back to School since we'd only like telegraphed it a million times during yeah. that episode. But yeah. we went to Rodney Dangerfield's second best movie, Easy Money. Name his third best movie of the eighties. Um, anybody? Uh, Ladybugs. No. <laughs> I ain't got no respect one. Uh, it's not Caddyshack. That was seventy. Uh, no, Caddyshack, Caddyshack is eighties, nineteen eighty. I'm going Caddyshack. Yeah, Caddyshack. Caddyshack. Actually, had Caddyshack. Rank him. Would, would you go Caddyshack? Back to school. Easy money. I would go back yeah. to school at the top. I think back to school is really. Better. Yeah. No. It's more consistent. Wrong. Caddyshack is more, uh, you know, scenes put together. I feel like, you know, and and it's hysterical. Wrong. Don't get me wrong, but Rodney Dangerfield, <laughs> it's not his best work. <laughs> Somebody stepping a dog. Oh, 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 Jesus. You're, kill, you're killing the student oh. of film. Dart, dart right to my heart, man. Oh, not his best. Great work. soundtrack, though, right? That's yes. Great. Again, so another, another, so another song. Dance. Another song where if you hear I'm All Right, you think Caddyshack. Well, of course, it's the theme for the f- movie. Anyway, uh, Brad, read some of the winners. Winners this week include Shazam from St. Louis, Gabriel Clockout Daigle, Kurt in Dirty Jersey, Chris in Kansas, Rodney still waiting for a link to Deborah Foreman's Facebook page, Bell. Now, we as, all are. As an aside, Rodney, go to Facebook, type Deborah Foreman in the search bar, okay? You got this. I know you can do it. Moving on. Jesse, Big Cat Smith, DJ in Clinton, Brock in North Dakota. Wait, we have a listener in North Dakota? That's awesome. Tom, it's not a tumor in Austria. And Joseph Purdue. By the way, uh, Deborah Foreman just posted something within the last couple of days that says she's hit her maximum amount of friends that Facebook will allow someone to have. Aww. But you can follow her. You can go there and say his, instead of saying add friend, you can hit follow and you can see all her stuff. So She's very popular, Steve. <laughs> they all adore her. <laughs> as well as should. Uh, pay attention. Here's this week's mystery clip. Would you say I have a plethora of piñatas? A what? A plethora. If you know it, email us at steve or brad at sit80s.com and tune in next week to find out if you're a wiener. Ah, the mystical refrain of name that 80s tune. 
It's the home stretch of the podcast. We can all relax and enjoy a sip of wild turkey. Ah. This portion of the podcast sponsored by Brown uh, Liquor. <laughs> Brown Liquor. <laughs> it makes the day go quicker. Pay attention. Here's the clip from our last show. That's Ice Cream Castles by Morris Day and the Time. Not a whole lot of people got this one right. Yeah, I was surprised. I knew it was Morse Day, but I picked the wrong song. Yeah. Uh, so, very few winners, but uh, Brad? Okay, let me do that. We got Charles from Yorktown, Todd in Minnesota, and Pamela, a.k.a. one of our eight female listeners. Okay, let's spin the wheel and find out who wins the uh, swag of the week. It looks like it's going to end up on... Gabriel Daigle, you're this week's uh, lucky winner. Woohoo! Uh, send us your snail mail address, and we will get out. Um, you tell us if you want the uh, <laughs> the pillowcase or a bottle opener. Bottle opener or the random 80s swag item as chosen by Steve Spears' cat. Yeah, I'm telling you. <laughs> I think you know which one you should pick at this point. Uh, and pay attention. Here's this week's mystery clip. If you know it. Email us. You know the addresses by now. And tune in next week to find out if you are a winner. We'll be right back after this commercial break. Deacon's my name and bowling's my game. Gutterball, gutterball! How are you going to score there? Come on, three strikes and you're out. We just won another round of light beer from Miller. Yeah, light sure tastes great. Let's fill it! Tastes great! There it is, down there. Take your time. Eight ball in the pocket. Bubba, this ball doesn't have any holes in it. Yeah, it does. The score's all even. Last frame, who's up? Rodney. Rodney! Oh, gotta be a mistake. Hey, you kidding? It's a piece of cake. <laughs> all we need is one pin, Rodney. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Like beer from Miller. Everything you always wanted in a beer and less. Hey, it didn't get my turn yet. I'm going to break this time. And we're back. And um, we have just a few minutes left, but we want to let you know there's another week-long 80s vacation opportunity that's just been announced. It's called 80s in the Sand, and it's set for November 2017 in Punta Cana. Uh, Would you call me? Punta Cana. <laughs> oh, Punta Cana. <laughs> uh, You're a bad man. Is there a phrase that sounds like that that's a bad one? Just, I don't yes. talk phrases anymore, man. Yeah. I'm done with phrases. Ever since the one you used that one show. Uh, 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 uh. Easy. <laughs> Uh, for those who don't know, Punta Cana is the uh, the big vacation center of the Dominican Republic. It's um, right up there at the end of the island. It is it's been pretty big now for about the last five years. It's a lot of all inclusive uh, 
resorts, beautiful sand. Um, you can pretty much get there nonstop from uh, most of the major hubs in the east. Among the bands who are already booked, Loverboy, huge. Uh, Starship, Howard Jones, The Smithereens. Nice. Uh, Winger, An Emotion, Martha Day in the Motels, New Shoes, and Stacy Q. Um, here's what makes this a little bit more interesting. There are some celebrities that are booked on this trip, including Deborah Foreman. Ah, the aforementioned Ms. Foreman. Yeah, and mm-hmm. Diane Franklin from Last American Virgin. Ooh, or, or Better Off Dead. Or Better Off yeah. Dead, if you prefer. Yeah, I know what you want to do with your tentacles. <laughs> uh, some of the other people that are booked, serious first wave DJ Richard Blade, uh, MTV VJ's Nina Blackwood, and downtown Julie Brown. And, of course, headlining... <laughs> Spearsy and Brad. We are actually the showcase gonna, lounge. Yes, me and Brad will be there doing our uh, our trivia show and, and dueling pianos and self deprecating humor. It is. It's a little different than the eighties cruise. Um, it's it's still seven nights. It's all um, it's an all inclusive deal. So your meals are included. All your beverages are included, alcoholic and non-alcoholic. I don't know what you do with non-alcoholic drinks, but apparently they're popular. With some people you throw them on people when they <laughs> insult you. <laughs> All the non-motorized sports like sailing and kayaking and snorkeling, um, all the ground transportation to the resort, all the concerts, that kind of stuff. Wi-Fi is free. So it's out there. If you want to learn more about it, it's uh, www.80sinthesand.com. And like I said, it's not until November 2017. you got a lot of time to look at it. But And, and Brad and I have a lot of time to plan like – uh, 80 more trivia questions. <laughs> yeah, check it out though. It's a uh, you know it's a pretty good lineup, and uh, you know it could be could be the thing for you if you're not thinking a week on a boat sounds like fun. Yeah, I think it's a good alternative to people who are just not into cruising. And I think that the lineup's pretty compelling. I, Smithereens, I, I would love to see them. Yeah, um, Loverboy, I saw them once or no twice now I guess, but I, it's been a long time since I've seen them, and I know they're great in concert. So, and the idea of finally getting to meet Deborah Foreman. Pretty cool. I'm a big fan of the all inclusive stuff too. We did that on our honeymoon, and it was it was just the best, man. It was yeah. just so nice to not have to worry about oh, do I need to bring money with me to everywhere? Do I need to tip this everywhere? And right, and you just kind of go and enjoy yourself. It's it's fantastic. Nice. It'll be a fun time. In the meantime, if you have a suggestion for a bad movie from the '80s with a great soundtrack, email us again. Suggest. I think we're going to end up probably doing more than one installment of this. Yeah, if, if you want to l- write a long screed about why Drew is wrong, <laughs> please send that to us in all caps, italic, bolded. I'm not saying it's guaranteed that we'll read them, but it's fairly guaranteed that we'll read them. We'll at least we'll at least read them to Drew. Yeah, I was yeah. gonna say I'll at least get them forwarded to me. And, and I got to tell you, we have a fantastic time machine letter that was just too long to work into the show that we got to do soon. Oh so. my god, you're not kidding! I remember which one you're talking about. Uh, in the meantime, uh, Drew. And Jen, thanks for joining us again. Thank you. I forgive you, Drew. <laughs> oh, thanks. I appreciate it. I'm I'm man enough to know when I'm right. <laughs> That's a, well, we we can we can agree that you're wrong. Uh, okay, me and, and Roger Ebert. In the meantime, uh, Brad, myself, and Mitch Gaylord, and Janet Jones, we remain here, hopelessly stuck in the '80s. Stuck in the 80s is a Class of 85 production.
Please listen responsibly. Gary continues. If I was to continue a night... <laughs>